whenever you hear a podcast, you hear people, you're not listening to the people or you're not hearing the people that failed. You hear a lot of people that have succeeded and you have to understand where they're coming from in that moment in time. So you have to understand their history. Where did the money come from? So on and so forth. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason J. Lou Lewis. We're getting to dive into a really cool topic that I'm excited about today with Mr. Andrew Holmes, and that is the 257 cash flow for life. No matter where you are in the real estate, if you're a broker, investor, syndicator, I think everyone's ultimate goal is cash flow and to be cash free. So excited to dive into this topic, hear from Andrew, his story, and see how that can add some creative real estate tips and tricks for our listeners today. Andrew, welcome. Thank you so much, Jason. Excited to be with you guys. Yeah, we're excited to have you on here. Yeah, let, just tell us kind of how you got started in the real estate game. It's always interesting to hear how people started and, and how they kind of got to be where they are today as, as a successful real estate investor as, as you are. So I guess the journey, like most people, for me, it was starting at 19 years old, took about, I think, $1,500 of Pell Grant in college. And instead of buying books with it, I bought a real estate licensing course. So, <laughs> you know, so it was 10 years start to begin with. And my goal always was wanted to be an entrepreneur and didn't have money. So the thought was, well, I'm going to sell some real estate and then somehow I'm going to become a real estate investor. So from 19, it took me till the age of 32 before I did my first flip. It took me, my gestation period was very long, but the first flip was 2008, January 14th was kind of the start of the whole journey. And my biggest reason for kind of coming to investing was that what I felt as a real estate agent, what I thought was that, hey, I'm making pretty good money. I was doing pretty well selling real estate. The problem was anytime I went anywhere on vacation or anything, I was always scared that how am I going to repeat this year, the next year? I always had this fear that, oh my God, I worked my butt off. And for me, all the way from Thanksgiving to New Year was a very depressing time because I knew I had to do it over again and then over again and over again. And by 32, I was burnt out on every kind of motivation that you could imagine in the world. I tried everything, affirmations, everything. And I was like, man, this just sucks. And I couldn't see myself as a 60-year-old real estate agent kind of back to square one. So that was kind of the journey. And then I thought that I was getting off a treadmill of selling houses, quote unquote, into flipping, which was like, well, why would you want to work for two, three, four, five percent when you can own the whole thing? And sometimes, you know, you be careful what you pray for because you might just get it, which was 2008, that I actually ended up doing 10 flips in 2008, about $20,000, $25,000 in profit per flip. 2009, I was the guy who was like, oh my God, if 10 is good, then 30 is better. So that was 2009. Well, if 10 and 30 is better, then 60 has got to be better. Yet end of 2010, what I realized was I was better off being a real estate agent. I've actually made more money net, net bottom line. And I was not investing. I was in the business of trading houses. I'd buy a house, which was a foreclosure house at the time, fix it up. 
when it's really nice, I would sell it to somebody else. And then I'm like, oh my God, I got away with that one. How do I do it over again? And really what I do today, the beginning of it happened in 2011, because in 2010, I was more scared than before. And at least with the commission, it's like, okay, I miss a deal. With the flip, what I was realizing was that my profit per deal profit had gone down year one. The profit was about 25, 26 per deal by 2010. Having Was that a percent? What price point were you at making the 25 grand? All in about 220 to 250 back okay, so end. The, the 10%. I hear that a lot. And, and with us, we were kind of shooting for that 10. Yeah. You get the, the home run. So yeah. So yeah. Okay. That's what I was doing. And then what I realized was that I was more scared and more stressed out doing that many flips because, and I didn't want to look at it, but I was actually losing money in some flips. Now you could have never told me that because I would have gotten really upset. Right. And what I realized was that of the hundred flips that I had done, 66 of them made me less than $8,000. The real profit was in 33 flips where I made more than 45, 50,000 bucks. And there was a big aha moment 2011, which was I actually had to do less work to make a lot more money, meaning I had to be much more selective with the flips that I had to do. That was number one. Number two was that if I truly wanted to own a business, that I had to own treadmills and not keep running on them, right? So the basic philosophy was kind of started in 2011, which was, you referred to it, which was 257, which is two years, five houses, and get them paid off in seven. So that was a philosophy. It was today, it sounds kind of natural. Two years, five properties paid off, paid them off in seven and cash flow for life. But at the time, if you remember kind of the market, maybe your market or my market, we were kind of close to the bottom. And we were buying properties where I was putting commercial loans on them. So I'd buy them with private money, I would fix them. And my rule was that purchase rehab had to be about 75% or 65% to 75% of the back end value, meaning after sure. rental. The, and the I Burr, kind of, essentially the, the Burr strategy. In the it, Burr in strategy, sense? just a little bit modified, okay. which is that I had three rules. Number one was I have to have 25% equity. Number two is that I have to have $400 net cash flow per door, net okay. after all expenses. And number three was I have to have a DCR, debt coverage ratio of 1.33 minimum, right? I've never gone below 1.6, but that was my strategy because what I saw a lot of people doing with Burr was that they would overinflate the backend number and then they were basically lying to themselves. And my reason for that was that if I didn't have a lot of capital to invest, so if I didn't refinance all the money out that I had invested, right, I would only be able to buy two or three rentals and I'd get tapped out. Right. So that was kind of the philosophy. And my deal was I'd seen a lot of people, a lot of clients that had gone belly up in 2008, 9, 10, 11, and I was buying their properties. And I never wanted to be a statistic. I was so paranoid. I had tried being poor at one point in my life. It didn't work well for me. So I was like, I am never going to do that. And I was like, I'm going to use flips to make a living and I'm going to use rentals to build a lifestyle. And the basic rule was that I will never use any cash flow to live on, period. So since 2011 till today, I have never, ever taken one dime out of the rental cash flows, right? And the basic philosophy with which we operate is that 
if you take care of real estate for the first five years, real estate will take care of you for the rest of your life. But that first five-year period is so critical that if you screw that up, right, then guess what happens? That's where people get themselves in trouble, that they're not patient enough. For sure. So talk to us about the two, five, seven in the way of how you pay that off in seven. Are you paying it off from other properties? Are you paying it off at 400 a door? That's not going to be enough to pay it off itself you know, in seven. So, so are, you, are you taking it from other sources? And, and why, I guess a quick question on that is why seven versus utilizing the bank debt? So the thought process is that when the whole idea started back in 2011, what was happening was I couldn't get rental uh, Fannie Freddie loans. At the time, we had five-year balloons on commercial debt. So it was a 25-year, like a small bank or a yeah. uh, portfolio lender. Portfolio lender, time, yep. Right? Now, today, obviously, things are a lot easier to do. And at the time, what I was scared of was that what happens if in five years, the rates are at 10? What happens if the rates are at 12? What am I going to do? So the philosophy was that I'm going to accumulate five properties, and generally, my cash flow was about anywhere from 2,500 to 3,200, depending on if it was a two unit or a three unit or a single family. 89% of my portfolio is all single family homes in the suburbs of Chicago. And so what I decided was that I count kind of settled property a year from the day I buy it. Meaning if I buy a property today and I rent it out, say three months from now, I don't count year one. You obviously pay taxes on it, but I don't count it for my numbers. And even if I have a three-unit building, I count it as one. I don't count it as three doors. That's just kind of weird way of how I do the numbers. So what would happen is once you buy the property for six for five properties, for six months, you wait, right? And they all sit in one LLC. After six months, which is the seventh month on, you're taking the 2,500, 3,000, whatever the cash flow is within that one LLC, and you take the property with the highest interest rate and you start paying that off. You're kind of using the method which people use to pay down credit card debt. Mm -hmm. You're just using that with real estate. So, what that does is that if you kind of do the math, it'll take about two and a half years on a regular property. Today, it'll take about three years, three and a half years to pay off property number one. Property number two obviously goes quicker because you're kind of light on your debt. So you have more cash flow. And what I figured out was I would have to do two flips and I would have to basically not use the cash flow for that time being. At the time, I was very scared, right? That was really the reason driving force behind 257 that, hey, let's pay this off. So I'd have to do two extra flips. And I'd have to use all the cash flow for about seven to eight years. It actually takes exactly eight years. But at the time, my goal always was to pay them off in seven. And in reality, what happens is when people hear of the concept, they're like, oh my God, that's even possible. I'm like, yes, it's possible. You have to get a little creative with it, but it's possible if you stick to it. Now, of course, it's going to depend the market you're in. So example would be in Florida market, we use 2510 because the market price ranges are a little bit higher, right? So in that market, you have to kind of modify that. If you're in the Dallas market, you have to do two, five, about 15, right? And it's going to depend. You have to tweak those numbers a little bit. But if that basic philosophy is followed, what happens is that people don't touch their cash flow. I mean, we have about 13,000 houses owned in Chicago, 
with about 1,100 investors. So the average person owns about 13 houses. And everybody follows that basic philosophy. Never touch the cash flow, pay the properties off. Because what I've noticed with a lot of people is that they run after cash flow, they invest in real estate, yet they never have true freedom. What I mean by that is that they keep chasing the next, I mean, they're like crack addicts, right? Oh my God, where's the next deal? Next real, deal. real estate is as addicting, I would yeah, probably it, say. It, and yeah, it, I would uh, say more, right? Because, <laughs> you know, I literally joke about all the time. I kind of put my arm up. I definitely, disclaimer, don't want to, you know, joke around about, you know, that this aspect, but sure. you know, it is a sense, it is an addiction. People, human nature is addicted to things. That's they're addicted to caffeine. They're addicted right. to gambling, whatever. And, and real estate literally is that next deal is that little shot in the arm. And you're like, yeah, I got it. We got it. You've got that flip. We got that commission. And then it wears off and you're like, next one, we got to get the one, next right. one. Right. So, yeah. So the basic philosophy started with that, that you develop pods of five to six properties per LLC, and then you cap it off. You put it aside. Then you go to the next one, same exact thing. Are those financed within the LLC? Are they financed as a portfolio of five properties? They're financed. Or? Individual properties okay. are financed even today. Okay. So today, obviously, we're able to put commercial debt at 4%, 4, 4.25, 4.5, 30-year yeah. debt, right? And so they're generally financed. Now, with the portfolio I have, we have about 210 houses at this point. It's me and I have a business partner. So it's about 100 are his, 100 are mine. And we have about a 45%, if you look at value versus loans on them, about a 45% debt on it. So great. That's great. And then uh, talk to us about the, like the banking of this. You've mentioned that there's been some kind of transition, how it was a little harder back then, a little easier now. So, Any tips or tricks, creative at the ways time, to bank? You know, for a lot of people that may have been in the business, right? My biggest challenge at the time was I was doing flips successfully, but nobody would lend to me on a 1099 at that time yeah. in 2011. So what I did at the time was I went to people, I called them busy professionals, people who had a regular job. And if they had a W-2 income, they could be making 50,000 bucks. They would get a loan. They would get a regular loan because even commercial banks, small, say your portfolio lenders that were in the marketplace, small banks and trusts, they would not give me a loan, but they would give them a loan. And so at the time, my deal to them was, hey, how would you like to buy real estate? And you don't have to do anything. I'll do all the work. I'll find it. I'll get it fixed up. We'll refinance it all the money will come back and we'll just do it over again. We'll just do a hundred percent recycle. I only have one, basically kind of one caveat. You cannot touch the money. And I approached everybody that was super conservative, super cheap people, right? And they're like, well, what do we do? I'm like, we just accumulate. They're like, well, what do we do when we have a bunch of it? I'm like, you just look at it. Every time you feel depressed, you open the, I mean, I was dead serious, right? And you know what's funny? Today, it sounds like, oh my God, it's no brainer. At the time, I was so scared asking people, right? And so I found- Because I mean, you've got to remember this coming off of 2008, 2009, exactly. there's so many people that have gotten in the real estate world through bigger pockets or our podcast and, sure. and that they don't realize that it doesn't just go up and to the right, that it right. doesn't just appreciate 20% year over year, right. even during the pandemic. Like, right. oh, eight, if you're in there, you got crushed or you got scared. Yeah. That, I mean, that's your two, you crushed and got out of the business or you were scared. And when you were getting into it, you were hesitant. So 
just for anyone kind of listening, you know, back then it's like you, the world you know, could end. And the interesting part is this, that for people that they've heard this, right, you can make money when the market's going down and you can make money when the market's going up. I'll give you an example of that. So think about say 2009, right? A property that ARV at the back end, if you did the ARV of a property in January that you're buying as a foreclosure, say for 200,000, if you looked at the numbers and you understood the market by the end of the year, that property was going to be worth 185, right? By the end of the year. So when you're buying the property, you had to predict that, hey, six months from now, when I go to sell it, the property may be worth less than what I think today. So I've always had a basic philosophy, which is when the market's going down, you double the bad news and you half the good news, if that makes any sense. For so sure. at the time, the slide was about 6% for the year, 7% for the year, depending on the market. So what I used to is always my philosophy was six months from the time I buy it, rehab it, put it back on the market to get it sold, to get it to sell. So when I would buy it, even though the ARV of the property was 200,000, I would assume it's only going to be 190, let's say. From 190, I would do the numbers backwards. Everybody that was in my market at that time, they lost their shirt and they lost their shirt for a simple reason that I was buying properties at a better basis than they were. And if they did not put their property on the market before I did, I would basically undercut the price because that was the only way I could get property sold was basically priced at 5%, 6% less than anybody else. And boom, my properties would always sell even when the market was sliding down. So it's a matter of perspective. People who have only seen the good times, they don't understand that market, but you can make a killing even in a bad market. So it's just you know kind of a different perspective. For sure. Well, anything before we cut to break, anything that you would like to share in today, if you're getting started or if you're that busy professional, maybe want to buy that first property, any other specific kind of creative ways that you would like to share with our listeners? You know, I have always been, so we do like these big events and so on and so forth. And for the last six, seven years, I was always against doing flips. Last year, year and a half, I've been, oh my God, flip properties. I mean, you can literally, and I mean, I don't mean to put anybody down, but I mean, you can be a complete bozo and you could flip a property in today's market. Just please understand, just because sometimes you can make money doesn't mean you're good. You're just sure. lucky. Right? You're there. And yeah, you're at the right place at the right time. And so for new people that are looking to get into real estate, if you happen to get a property in the market, right, under contract, close on it, overprice it, put it right back on the market. And especially going into the beginning of the year, there are, it's like the bigger fool theory. Some other fool will pay way more for the property, right? I mean, just perfect example. And a lot of times people are thinking that mailings aren't working today, right? I had never done mailings all these years until last year. This year, we started doing it because there's so many people, again, that are coming out of the woodworks and you can pick up even today's market. We're in a very hot market. We're still buying properties, 50% of market value, right? So anybody that says that, hey, in a market like today, there are no deals, guys, it's not that there are no deals. It's just, you don't know where to look. And that's the biggest thing. And uh, the other thing, you know, Jason, I hear, what is the best list? I'm sure you've had. Oh, for have, sure. Uh, you know, I, I even people, question that every day. Yeah. I start to do one and I'm like, oh, no, there's this new one I've seen on uh, Instagram. Right. And I mean this sincerely, right? From the bottom of my heart, guys, the best list is the list 
you're going to use, meaning that we know people in my market that basically outspend us on the radio, right? On uh, doing PPC kind of thing, you're not going to outspend us in our market. You're not, most normal people are not going to have a $30,000 budget a month. I'm talking about today, right? That's not normal. But then we have people in our market that are just doing probate mailings. That's all they do. And they beat us like a drum because that is what they do consistently. A lot of times people think there is a secret. The secret is consistency. I don't know if it's any different in your town, but I know in Chicago, consistency always works. For sure. Yeah. We recently did a video interview podcast for a real estate video company. And Mm -hmm. there literally, you could have summed it up in one thing was consistency. Literally like the... 20 minute podcast of all the things they literally, it, they said at the beginning, they said at the end is we don't care what you do, your iPhone, you hire us, whatever. You literally just once a day do a value add video. That's it. And you will outperform 90 plus percent. So whether you're a broker, investor, whatever. So yeah, that's, I like that, that it's just consistency. And so how's the mailers been? You said you, this is new for you guys? This is, is it- this is very, very new meaning that, and I made a commitment. I was like, I'm going to do it for six months, month yeah. one, two, three, four, nothing. Now you remind you 40,000 in because anything I tend to do, I'm like, I'm going to go all in. <laughs> so my budget and which is, and guys, please, for God's sake, I'm telling you, don't do it. Right. Sometimes whenever you hear a podcast, you hear people, you're hearing, you're not listening to the people or you're not hearing the people that failed. You hear a lot of people that have succeeded and you have to understand where they're coming from in that moment in time. So you have to understand their history. Where did the money come from? So on and so forth. Today, what I can get away with, I could not have gotten away with for a long period of time. If you're going to do it, set a $500 budget, but then do it the next month, the next month, the next month. But to give you, I spent 46,000 bucks, zero deals. Then after that, six deals consistently from that point on. But it's you know, because initially we sent the mailings and a bunch of return mail came back. I'm like, what do we do with this? We took that and we threw it away. Literally, we threw it away instead of going skip tracing yep. those numbers, right? And then keeping a track of, oh, who did we do the mailing to, right? I mean, you learn some of those things and it's, I have the ability today in terms of financially to be able to do that, but I had to go through my own mistakes to be like, well, no, this is a business. Then who's going to take the calls? Because initially... I was taking the calls and I'm like, this is getting out of hand. Who's going to go on the appointments, right? Who's going to do the follow-ups? Yep. Who's going to get the properties closed? And like those all are things that we have to think about if you're going to do anything. But for most people, you can literally do a $500 mailing, send out 400 pieces. But if you do that for six months, I promise you, even if you're terrible, you'll get two or three deals out of it. 100%. I like it. All right, we're going to take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsor, then back to the final five, then it helps. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Ecospace Real Estate. Ecospace is a Denver, Colorado-based real estate company with a national reach. They provide a unique offering called Flip Your Home, where they utilize their own internal fix and flip crews to flip their clients' homes prior to listings. Their brokerage clients gain on average 23000 of instant equity, which is then taken 100% tax-free. If you'd like to learn more about gaining additional tax-free equity in your home prior to listing, then please visit ecospace.com. 
All right, we are back from break. We're back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast with Andrew Holmes for the final five. First question, Andrew, in a few short little seconds, tell us about your most creative real estate deal you've done or you've heard of. So the most (laughs) creative real estate deal would be a property that was basically bought at auction, right, from somebody. And it was bought as, so it was basically financed, owner finance. So uh, one of the investors financed the property and we bought it at Cook County Sheriff's Sale, was bought for 36,000 bucks, $26,000 in work that we did in terms of rehab. And then it was resold to the previous owner who had lost the property and had lived in that same property for three years. They couldn't evict him. He bought the same property back for 126,000 bucks. So I don't know if it was creative, but it was one of the most interesting deals that he did. He bought his own property back, lost it and bought it back about three years later. So that's great. Was it a listed property or was it just through the network? It was, no, this was a property that we bought at the sheriff's sale and then we fixed it and he basically bought it off the MLS. Okay. That's awesome. I like it. So quick question on that. How was the demeanor of someone like that? Is he excited to buy oh my it? God. Or? You know, I was dreading meeting the guy. Yeah, that's what I was curious. Uh, because how I was, that I was like, oh my God, the home inspection. And typically I don't go to the closings. And the attorney calls me. She's like, Andrew, this guy wants to talk to you. And he got the biggest kick out of it, right? It was like, he got the biggest kick because he's like, man, I lived in the house for three years. I didn't make a single payment. I'm like, you know, I wouldn't be too proud of that. <laughs> he's like, well, they never came knocking. So I never left. Right. So, 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 you know, they were that behind on the foreclosures. They never came, showed up to his house. He's like, you met me. I'm like, I did. I had no idea. Apparently I had gone to his house and told him, Hey, it was sold, uh, sold a foreclosure sale. You got to move out, moved out. I mean, that never, yeah, not yeah. one peep yeah. gave us the keys. Right. He's like, I'll just take my keys back because now I bought the house. I mean, he was giddy as could be. So, I like it. so God good. bless him. That's a good story. So another one we like to dive into final five is, is there anything specific from a podcast or a book that you'd like to share anyone that's getting into the real estate game that you think they should check out? I don't know if it's, it's not a real estate book. It's a book written by Benjamin Graham on a stock analysis. It's called, I'm drawing a blank right now. If okay. somebody we'll, does a we'll, search, we'll, Benjamin, we'll yeah, throw it in the show Graham. notes. We'll throw it yeah. in the show notes. If you put it in the show notes, it's called The Smart Investor or something, but it's a basic book, which is kind of on the philosophy of Warren Buffett, Intelligent Investor. That's the name of the book. Okay. And if people for who that are very analytical, it'll be the best book on investing you will ever read. I like it. And it seems to be, you You remember January 14th or June 14th, you remember 66 and you're, it sounds like very analytical uh, person when it comes to the data of real estate. So, so yeah, I'm guessing that's one of why probably one of your favorite books. So it's impressive. Mm-hmm. You've been spitting off some of these numbers and I always like to hear people that track that data. So it's key. It definitely is important. So, and the, the other is, is what do you do to kind of give back to the real estate sector or the world that's kind of been so good to you in this in this real estate game in the last 10, 15 years? In 2012, I started a radio show. And the pure reason for doing it, it cost me close to $60,000 a year, quite honestly. And my idea was I had heard of a lot of people on radio and it used to always bother me, Jason, because they were making up numbers and I knew they were making up numbers, right? And I was like, 
So I went to the radio station and I'm like, hey, I want to do a real estate show. They're like, what are you going to sell? I'm like, nothing. They're like, are you crazy? You know what this radio time costs? I'm like, no, I have no idea. Like how much? They're like 60,000 bucks. I'm like, okay, I'll pay for it. Like literally flips paid for it at the time. It's a crazy notion. And for eight years, I did a show on how to invest in real estate properly because my belief is this, like today there's so many, like maybe people who are listening to this today, right? There's so many podcasts. There's so much good information on YouTube, bigger pockets, so many places. The biggest problem today is not information. It's too much information. And to be able to sift through and figure out who is real and who's just making up these numbers is the biggest thing. And today I get to give back. We started an organization called Chicago RIA, Chicago Real Estate Investors Association, and we've about 15,000 members plus. And it was a pure labor of love, right? For the first four or five years, they did not make dime. It cost me a heck of a lot of money, but there were people who would call complete strangers and they're like, oh my God, that idea of 257 makes sense. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And it's interesting that I had kind of thrown out a number a little while ago. Here in Chicago, we have this kind of a Kool-Aid drinking crowd that actually believes in this whole idea. And we have about 1,100 people or so that I get to work with on a regular basis. And these are everyday folks that owned zero properties about five and a half years ago. And today, that group, just rental properties, they own over 13,000 single family properties just in the six counties of Chicago, right? And these are everyday folks. They don't come from money. And yet the idea initially was, oh my God, what can I do? I was so excited with what I was doing. I'm like, you can literally print your own ticket if you know how to buy real estate and how to buy it correctly. So it's been a one of the biggest blessings for me is that people will show up and they're like, you know, I started buying properties. Now I have five, now I have 10, 15, 20. So it's, that was my way of giving back. I like it. You see the enthusiasm on your face of when you're talking about that. So I always like to see that when people, when I ask the question of giving back. So next question, I know we can dive into this a whole podcast itself, but we normally ask, where do you see the market in the next five years with the craziness that's going on? We've shortened that to where do you see the market next year? Next year is good. No yeah. question. It's good. As long as I don't see this administration, at least, right? As long as this whole idea of the Corona variant continues, right? There's just a lot of money supply. And it, the market to me is purely based on the money supply. As long as the money supply is solid, the market remains solid, period. It's great. Well, it's good to hear. That means get in, go hard, get that addiction to real estate if you can. So last question, if they want to reach out, learn more about the 257, what's the best way for them to reach out? We can throw in the show notes. You can reach out to andrewholmesevents.com. That's andrewholmesevents.com is the easiest way to reach us. Awesome. We'll throw that in show notes. And it's a pleasure, man. I'm excited uh, to see what everyone gets to do with this two to five, our listeners, and hopefully we get a handful of people that take you up on uh, this concept and make it a reality. Definitely. And I know one of these days we got to go flying. For right? sure. Yeah. That's a little disclaimer. How we got connected is uh, through Bill Allen, who if you don't know Bill Allen and following him, make sure you do. He's uh, another guru in the, in the flip world. I think it's seven figure flips, I think is his main company, but right. um, yeah, we got connected through a uh, aviation post fellow pilots and 
the dream of being uh, financially free and free in the air as well to, to go where you want, when you want. So, so yeah. So Andrew, it was a, it was a pleasure. Always. It's good to have interesting people on. So as always guys, until next time, think outside the box. Thank you so much for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. And if you got value from this episode of the podcast, please take the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Give us a written rating and a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, think outside the box.